Sunday was Memorial Day, and uh, being a holiday, uh, I, I went to Home Depot and I decided to go buy some plants. Uh, we have two planters in the front of our house that I, I try to buy flowers for every year. And, and I was surprised when I went to Home Depot, I, I guess it was because it was a holiday, because it was Memorial Day, it was packed. Uh, there were, I've never seen the parking lot so full, and the section that was most crowded was, you can guess it, you can guess what, was the gardening section. Um, the workers there were telling us that, oh yeah, you know, these carts here, they were full of flowers when the day started, but they were uh, almost empty uh, when we saw them. Uh, for myself, I, I don't really have a green thumb. Millie uh, doesn't really have a green thumb either. We usually kill plants, but, um, you know, I like seeing plants in the front of our house, and so I, I buy plants even, you know, every year. Plants, especially in spring, don't really like me either, as some of you have seen me suffer through spring hay fever. Uh, but, you know, I, I plant plants, and sometimes they do well, uh, sometimes they don't. And as you kind of heard in the scripture reading today, we're going to talk about planting, as Jesus used uh, three seed parables to talk about the kingdom of God. Uh, you heard Bonin read actually two and a half of the parables. One parable was in verse 26 to 29, uh, the other was in 30 to 32, and the half was in verses 14 to 20. And I say half because you heard the explanation of the parable, but you didn't actually hear the parable read. But notice how they all start. Verse 26, the kingdom of God is like. Verse 30, the kingdom of God is like. Verse 11, where the parable starts, the secret of the kingdom of God has been given to you. So as we get into this message, we're going to see how Jesus uses all these parables to teach how the kingdom of God grows and I'm also going to try to answer this question of why did Jesus speak in parables? As we continue our series in the book of Mark, we reach one of Jesus' longest teaching passages. There's actually uh, two extended teaching passages in Mark, and this is one of them. So this is something that Mark feels to write at length about. It's something that's important for us to know. Um, the three parables themselves, I think, are pretty easy to understand, but I think there is one section which is more difficult, so we're going to focus most of our time on that this morning. Um, before we get into the passage, though, it would be good to define, you know, what do we mean by the kingdom of God? As you probably can infer from the phrase, the kingdom of God refers to the rule and reign of God over all his creation. It was initiated when Jesus came. We saw this in Mark 1, when John the Baptist said in verse 15, the time has come, the kingdom of God has come near Repent and believe the good news. But we know the kingdom has not been fully consummated yet, for when it is fully consummated, Jesus will rule righteously and justly over all his creation. Evil will be wiped out. He's going to establish a new heaven and a new earth. So if you're tired of you know, seeing the hatred that's going on in the world, the corruption, the evil, you know, we should long as believers to, you know, for Jesus to come and establish his kingdom, which is why you know, we just prayed in the Lord's Prayer, your kingdom come, your will be done. The citizens of the kingdom are those who are followers of Jesus Christ. Scripture tells us that the good news of the kingdom would go throughout the whole world and people from all nations would respond and become members of the kingdom. The disciples hoped that Jesus coming the first time 
you know, would have fully established the kingdom, but it wouldn't happen how they might have hoped, which is why Jesus spent so much time teaching them about the kingdom of God. In understanding this passage, a key word that is repeated uh, very often is hear or listen. It's repeated 13 times in just these 34 verses. In between the first parable, the word brackets, uh, the the parable itself and the explanation, you can see that in verse 9 when it says, he who has ears to hear, let him hear. And then it concludes the section beginning in verse 33. Um, In your Bibles, it probably says understand, but a more literal translation of verse 33 would say, and with such parables, Jesus continued to speak to them as much as they could hear. So we're going to see how hearing plays an important part in understanding the parables. The first parable is sometimes called the parable of the sower, and others is called the parable of the soils. The latter is the more correct one. It's about a farmer who goes out to sow seeds. The seeds lay in that four different types of soil, three bad, one good. The first bad type is what we may call roadside or pathway soil. It was soil that remained unplowed as they were the footpaths uh, that separated the fields. Other seeds said landed on rocky soils, seeds that landed on what was, you know, looked to be good soil, but there was a, 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 a limestone bedrock underneath, and so it prevented it from fully growing. The last bad soil you saw was, or you heard was weed-infested soil, and then there's good soil or fertile soil. Maybe when you heard Bonan reading the scripture, your eyes got fixated on verses 11 and 12. Maybe even did a double take and you're like, wait, are these verses saying what I think they are? Let me read it again. It says, the secret of the kingdom of God has been given to you, that is the disciples and and the rest of the listeners around them. But to those on the outside, everything has been said in parables so that they may be ever seeing but never perceiving and ever hearing but never understanding. Otherwise, they might turn and be forgiven. So listening to that, maybe your reaction is like, wait, did Jesus just really say what I think he said? Meaning, is he saying that he speaks in parables so that people won't understand and hear the good news and turn to him for salvation? If you're asking yourself that question, that's a good question to ask because that's a main part and understanding this first parable and why Jesus even spoke in parables. As I mentioned, Mark doesn't spend a lot of time detailing you know, Jesus' teaching. But if you remember, this is not the first time that Jesus taught. Back in chapters 1 and 2, we read of incidents where Jesus was teaching in the crowds, he was teaching in the synagogues, and so on. But it wasn't done in parables. It's only when we get to chapter 4 that Jesus starts speaking in parables and he intentionally makes the switch. At the end of of the section in verse 34, it said, he did not say anything to them without using a parable, but when he was alone with his own disciples, he explained everything. So why the change? Well, it goes back to verses 11 to 12. So if you see, there's probably a little you know, reference or, or footnote in your Bible that verse 12 is, is, is actually a quote from Isaiah 6, verses 9 to 10. 
Many of you are probably familiar with Isaiah 6 because it's the passage where Isaiah has this vision of God in the heaven and, and you know, the seraphs around, uh, you know, God singing holy, 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 and then he, you know, recognizes how unworthy he is before God. And then an angel cleanses, comes to cleanse Isaiah, and then he hears God ask, you know, whom shall I send and who will go for us? And Isaiah, in that famous you know, line many of you heard over and over, is like, here am I, send me. So we remember those first eight verses, but I bet many of us don't know what happens in the rest of the chapter. So beginning in verse 9, Isaiah tells, or God tells Isaiah this. He says, go tell these people, be ever hearing, but never understanding, be ever seeing, but never perceiving. Make the hearts of the people callous, make their ears dull and close their eyes. Otherwise they may see with their eyes, hear with their ears, understand with their hearts, and turn and be healed. Very similar to Mark 4, right? For how long, Lord, he continues, Isaiah asks him, God replies, until the cities lie ruined and without inhabitant, until the houses are left deserted and the fields are ruined and ravaged, until the Lord has sent everyone far away and the land is utterly forsaken. So what's happening here in Isaiah 6 is that, you know, God is asking for someone to go and preach to the people and Isaiah's like, here am I, Lord, send me, right? But what he's telling Isaiah afterwards is that, you know, you're going to go preach to the people, but they're not going to repent. They're not going to turn away. They have hardened their hearts too much. Your preaching will be an act of judgment on the people. And something similar is happening in Mark 4. Many of you have heard the term, you know, the unpardonable sin. You know, Jesus says all sins and blasphemies will be forgiven, but whoever blasphemes against the Holy Spirit will never be forgiven. He is guilty of an eternal sin. This is actually recorded in Mark 3, in the chapter right before Mark 4. So this sin is more than just a denial of the work of God or the Holy Spirit. It's taking the work of the Spirit and attributing it to Satan. And this is what happened with the Pharisees. As, we, as we've, been, as we've you know, been seeing as we've been going through the book of Mark, the Pharisees were following Jesus around. They did not deny the miracles that he performed because they couldn't, right? They saw him heal the sick, raise the dead, claim to forgive sins. But though they knew the truth, they rejected it anyway, or they, and they rejected him anyway. And flip back, if your Bible's open to Mark 4, flip back to chapter 3, and look what it says in verse 22. In verse 22 it says, As The teachers of the law, in other words, the Pharisees, who came now from Jerusalem said, He is possessed by Beelzebub, by the prince of demons. He is driving out demons. So what are they doing here? They're attributing the work of God to Satan thus committing the unpardonable sin, which is what Jesus was, you know, was describing in the, next, in the verses that follow. And as such, he begins speaking in parables in chapter 4. 
This was an act of judgment, but it was also an act of mercy. It was an act of judgment because, like I, the, because the Pharisees, like in Isaiah 6, or like the people in Isaiah 6, Jesus knew that their hearts were so hard that they would not perceive or understand, nor would they turn and repent because they had gone too far. They had already rejected the Messiah, and it was, they had gone so far that they couldn't turn back. But as such, it was also an act of mercy, because by veiling the truth in parables, the Pharisees would not understand it, thereby they couldn't reject more truth, and as such, they wouldn't bring more judgment on themselves. So what does this have to do with the first parable? Well, everything. Because the parable focuses on human responsibility and a willingness to hear. And per the parable, what determines a willingness to hear is the condition of the soil that is receiving it. For the Pharisees, they were like the, soil, or the seed that fell on the pathway soil. The soil of their heart was so hardened that Satan could just easily come and take the seeds away. On the other hand, you have the seed that's planted on fertile soil. The condition of the soil of these people's heart is receptive to hearing God's word. As such, Jesus said, the roots will grow deep and they will produce a harvest 30, 60, or 100 times over what was sown. So understand that, you know, in saying what Jesus did in verse 11 to 12, it wasn't Jesus' intent to hide truth from anyone who would receive it. For his followers who did not understand the parables, he would explain it to them. Verse 10 tells us that it wasn't just the disciples who were with them at the time he explained it. It says the disciples and others who were with Jesus. Or the 12, it said the 12 and others around him. So there were others who were following Jesus eager to hear his explanation. So for those who had good soil and wanted to learn, Jesus would gladly teach them. This is what is referred to in Jesus states in verse 24 to 25. With the measure you use, it will be measured to you, and even more. Whoever has, in other words, whoever is seeking the truth, will be given more. Whoever does not have, even the little truth that they receive will be taken from them because they rejected it. And in between these two opposites, you have the seeds that fall on rocky soil, and weed-infested soil. Rocky soil represents those who hear the word and initially receive it with joy, but their faith is only temporary. Even though it came with an outburst of joy, the person never truly believed in the first place. And weed-infested soil, I think, is also one we can easily understand. It's a person who responds positively at first, but later falls away because they are deceived by worldly things. Mark seems to imply that they start out with the potential to be fruitful because even um, you know, seeds uh, thrown among weeds can germinate, but they get carried away by the desire for other things, and so they don't fully blossom. In the parallel passage in Luke 8, Luke describes them as people being choked by life's worries, riches, and pleasures. They get sidetracked, and so the seed doesn't fully bloom in them, and they lose their way. 
So I think one thing is Jesus describes all these scenarios. One thing we can learn in the first parable about kingdom growth is that the kingdom grows through planting seeds. In the parable, Jesus is often seen as the sower, but the sower is not just limited to Jesus. It refers to anyone who spreads seeds by proclaiming the good news of the kingdom of God. Some seeds per the parable will not produce, but some will. Interesting, some have argued, well, the sower was pretty unwise to even throw seeds you know, on the three unfruitful soils. But this method of broadcasting was the one that was typically used back then. Because though the farmer was aware that seeds would fall in places where they would be wasted, it allowed him to cover the broadest area of his field with no perimeter of the field left unseeded. So in the human aspect of growing, if we want to grow God's kingdom, we need to spread seeds. Through this parable, spread seeds broadly. But if you feel like you've been spreading seeds and you're not seeing much of anything grow, or you're looking at the world and you're wondering, you know, is God anything? doing anything to bring about his kingdom? Because it sure doesn't seem like it. Jesus gives us encouragement with the second parable. He talks about a farmer who plants a seed. And then in verse 27, he says, Night and day, whether he sleeps or gets up, the seed sprouts and grows, though he does not know how. Here Jesus teaches that the kingdom grows through God's providence. Yes, the farmer, you know, he has to perform due diligence of planting the seeds, fertilizing it, giving it water at the proper time. But then he has to have faith that something will sprout and fully grow. As verse 28 says, he doesn't know how it will happen, but he trusts that all by itself the seed will grow into a stalk and the head and then the full kernel. This is the work of God. I mean, it's, it's the same with like my front yard. If you come to my house, we kind of have two sides uh, of our house where there's kind of flower beds. One side, we have daylilies that are doing quite well, uh, and they're like blooming all, blooming very rapidly. And the other side, it's like this more bare, bare piece of land or soil because um, the bulbs haven't sprouted. And I don't know why one side does so well and why one side doesn't. I mean, it's not that we don't... I don't treat them the same in terms of watering them or fertilizing them. But one side laid bare while the other side was doing very well. But it's all, it was all in God's hands what would happen with the bulbs. And even with the daylilies that grew, you know, I couldn't see underneath what was going on, but they grew. And it's the same Jesus is teaching with the kingdom. In 1 Corinthians 3, when Paul writes about the Corinthians coming to faith, he, he describes something similar. In verse 6 of 1 Corinthians 3, Paul says, I planted the seeds, meaning he spread the gospel to the Corinthians. Apollos, Apollos watered it, but God has been making it grow. So it's God's responsibility to grow his kingdom. And in this second parable, he's assuring us that he is growing it whether we see it or not. And not only is the kingdom growing, but the last parable tells us that the kingdom will grow exponentially through God's power. In this familiar parable, he uses the image of a mustard seed. 
Scholars believe that Jesus is referring to black mustard seeds, which which look like this. It wasn't the smallest seed out there. There are smaller seeds than mustard seeds, but it was a common term used uh, proverbially, proverbially back then to describe something very tiny. And when it grows, it's not a tree. It's actually a shrub or bush. It looks something like this. Researchers have found that mustard bushes can reach a mature height of 60 to 20 feet with a 20-foot spread. Proportionately, there was nothing farmers planted back then which started so small but became so large. It's quite an invasive plant that, if allowed, could consume a whole countryside. One unique characteristic about these plants is that they can grow so tightly together that they can create an impassable thicket that becomes homes to birds, insects, rodents. So Jesus is using this illustration to teach us about the massive expansion of the kingdom. When Jesus came about 2,000 years ago, the kingdom had humble beginnings. Yes, we've been seeing, you know, from Mark 1 to, to where we are now, that you know, all these crowds have been following them. But later in the book, we're going to see that the crowds start tapering off. They were fascinated by his miracles, but they weren't ready or committed to be his disciples. Some of his followers took notice, such that in the book of Luke, in chapter 13, one of them says, Lord, are only a few people going to be saved? Because they were surprised how few followers Jesus had. Though we read how most of his followers even deserted him when he was arrested and crucified, we see that the kingdom has endured and it has expanded. The part about the birds coming to perch on its shade that you read about it in the parable recalls Old Testament references where other nations represented as birds come under the rule of the Messiah. And we can see how the good news of the kingdom of God has spread throughout the entire world and continues to do so. To know that though we can't see it and may not think anything's happening, God is growing his kingdom and he's growing it exponentially. And it will continue to do so until he comes a second time to fully establish his kingdom. So as I wrap up, what do these parables ask of us? Well, first, they would have us check to see what is the condition of the soil of our heart. Is our heart fertile to receive God's word, or is it hard and resistant? Are there adjustments that need to be made to create more fertile soil for God's seed to come and take root and fully sprout? Second, if you have received the good news of the kingdom, go and spread the seeds of the kingdom broadly. Then trust God will grow it and multiply it as only he can. For those who have fertile ground and plant seeds, God promises that you can have a harvest 30, 60, or 100 times more than what was sown. And that would have been an unheard of return for any farmer to have something like that. But this is what God promises if you faithfully continue to do his work of planting his seeds of the kingdom. 
So go and spread seeds of the kingdom and trust God to grow and multiply it as only he can. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for the truth of your word. We thank you, Lord, for these simple parables that teach truth um, and remind us of how your kingdom will grow and expand. We thank you for your sovereignty and that your plans cannot be thwarted, that your kingdom will grow. And there will be a time when Jesus will return to fully consummate the kingdom. So we thank you for that and long for that, Lord, your kingdom come. And we pray that until that time we may be faithful to sow seeds of the kingdom broadly, whether here in the area that we live in or around the world, going on missions or supporting missions. And Lord, we trust in your goodness to take these seeds and multiply them 30, 60, 100 times over for your glory. And we pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen.